As we stand in this sanctuary today in honor of the word of the Lord, I invite you to take your Bibles and turn with me to both Genesis chapter 5 verse 2 and Matthew chapter 19. Today we continue our message series, Name, Image, and Likeness. We have, we have been talking the last several weeks about what it means to be a human being, what it, what it means to be this thing in the mirror. We've noticed that we are creatures, that God is God. He made us and not we ourselves, and that's praiseworthy because he is a good God. We have seen that we are the image bearers of God. We're his icons in this earth. We are made to commune with him and one another. We are made to live responsibly as his and to bear witness. And today we pick up in this series and we learn that we are, we are atoms. We're humans. We're human beings made by the Lord. Hear the word of the Lord from Genesis 5 and then Matthew 19. And created them male and female. He blessed them and he called them humanity on the day that they were created. Now Matthew 19. When Jesus finished saying these things, he left Galilee and came to the area of Judea on the east side of the Jordan. Large crowds followed him and he healed them. Some Pharisees came to him in order to test him. They said, does the law allow a man to divorce his wife for just any reason? Jesus answered, haven't you read that at the beginning the creator made them male and female? And God said, because of this, a man should leave his father and mother and be joined together with his wife and the two shall be one flesh. So they are no longer two, but one flesh Therefore, humans must not pull apart what God has put together. The Pharisees said to him, Then why did Moses command us to give a divorce certificate and divorce her? Jesus replied, Moses allowed you to divorce your wives because your hearts are unyielding, but it wasn't that way from the beginning. I say to you that whoever divorces his wife except for sexual unfaithfulness and marries another woman commits adultery. His disciples said to him, if that's the way things are between a man and his wife, then it's better not to marry. He replied, not everyone can accept this teaching, but only those who have received the ability to accept it. For there are eunuchs who have been eunuchs from birth, and there are eunuchs who have been made eunuchs by other people, and there are eunuchs who have made themselves eunuchs because the kingdom of heaven because of the kingdom of heaven, because the kingdom of heaven, this is the little hole in the fence through which we will stand and look and see a whole other word, a whole other world, because of the kingdom of heaven. Let's say it together, because of the kingdom of heaven. Those who can accept it should accept it. Let us pray. Our good and our holy God, we thank you today for this Lord's Day. We thank you for a chance to meet on this corner, to gather in your name. We're grateful for your promise that as we gather in your name, that you are here among your people. We thank you, God, for your near presence. And we thank you that you move in our midst and that you speak. And God, we confess we are hungry for a word 
from you. We need to hear from you. We need your word more than we need bread or water or wine or oxygen. We need that which comes from your table. Lord, to this end, we come and we ask you to give us eyes to see and ears to hear. We ask you to give us tender hearts that will receive your word like a seed planted in fertile soil. God, we pray that you would give us feet that would walk quickly to do your will. God, we pray that you make our hands strong, our frames strong, that our work in this world would be like your own. And God, we pray that a word of witness and life and hope and love would be found on our lips. Our good and our holy God, this is our prayer in the mighty name of Jesus. And we pray together saying, amen and amen. Please be seated. We have been asking what theologians call the anthropological question. Robert Jensen said the anthropological question is, what sort of thing am I? You probably never asked it just like that, but we've all asked that question. What sort of thing am I? And related questions are like this. What's the point? Is there a point? If there is a point, what is it? Here's your big word for today. That kind of thinking is, is, is what theologians call the telos, the goal, the end. What sort of thing am I? And is there a point to life? These are the kind of questions that we need to be asking and answering in church. We need to be shaped by them as we seek to follow Christ in the world. Because this is contented area. This is tough. The world says, when we ask the question, what sort of thing am I? Is there a point? Is there an end? The world says to us in so many different ways, you choose your own adventure. You're a plastic person. The existentialist philosopher John Paul Sartre said first to the crowd and then for the crowd, man is nothing else but what he makes of himself. This is the water we're swimming in. Charles Taylor calls it expressive individualism. What sort of thing am I? I'm somewhat plastic. I have an adventure to choose. I make myself and offer it to the world. And this is not just jobs and hobbies and clothes that we wear, but it's things once considered fixed and fundamental. Everything is up for grabs. Everything is for our personal choosing and expressing. There's a couple of quotes I want you to think with me about. The first comes from Alan Noble, who teaches at Oklahoma Baptist University. Noble said, everything in culture seems to be addressed to us, calling to us for attention, resources, money, value, and approval, from ads to devices to politicians. Everything is calling to us. Now here, allow me to put on my foil hat for a moment. Let me, let me play conspiracy theorist, all right? And I don't even have to do this with my full hat anymore because we're all playing this game. Uh, let me suggest to you, friends, that the appliances are listening. <laughs> the appliances are listening. I mean, they're paying attention to you, and the algorithm is at work, paying attention to you, your movements, your thoughts, your words. I mean, you don't need a full hat anymore. Because you bought that smart speaker down at the store and plugged it right in. We're doing the work for them. 
How many of you have looked down at your phone after a conversation with a friend and said, oh my word, that's creepy. I mean, you're just talking about Brussels sprouts. You know, you and your wife, you're sitting there, you're like, you know what I really love? I love balsamic glazed, you know, glazed Brussels sprouts. And, and there you go. Here is, here's an ad. Here's an ad for BJ's Brewhouse and their signature, their signature appetizer for the month. And guess what that signature appetizer is? Balsamic glazed Brussels sprouts. I was talking to the guy the other day. He was talking about their kids. He said, I got these kids. You know, he's just a little bitty guy, uh, and he, we're potty training, uh, and he, he loves dinosaurs. And he said, you know what I got? I got on my phone an advertisement for dinosaur-themed pull-ups. <laughs> the appliances are listening. Everything around us is paying attention to us and beguiling us into thinking that we are the stars of our own story, leading us through the world. The speakers are listening. Second quote from David Foster Wallace. Everything in my immediate experience supports my deep belief that I am the absolute center of the universe, the realist, most vivid, and important person in existence. I'm the star of my own show. That's another way of saying man is nothing else but what he makes himself. This is the water that we swim in. And friends, this is, this is not too big of humans. This is not too big of a, too grandeur of a view of what it means to be human. It sounds like it. It looks like it at first blush. But let me suggest to you it's far too small of a vision of what it means to be a human. Because you're not just a consumer of things and people. And I am not at the center of the universe. Imagine what a pitiful universe it would be if I was allowed to sit in the center of it. You're a little better, but it would still be a pretty, pretty, pretty blue light special universe. Christ is central. We were made by him and for him. So we need news from another network. If the world says you choose your own adventure, you're nothing else but what you make of yourself, the word has something else to say about that. And into this world... The word of God breaks in and says that there is a point. It's to live our lives because of the kingdom of heaven. Once we got to that in Matthew 19, Jesus had already said it in Matthew 6, verse 33, where on the Sermon on the Mount, he looked eyeball to eyeball with the hungry world and he said, seek first the kingdom of God. And all these things will be added. What things? All the things that we think are valuable and important and life-giving and fruitful, they only make sense in second, third, fourth, fifth, sixth, seventh place. There is no thing that deserves the place of Christ and his kingdom because that kingdom is unshakable and that person is unchanging. So into the world, the word breaks in. And to the question, what sort of thing am I, and is there a point, the Word of God says, you're a creature. You're an icon of God. 
You're an Adam, a human being. That's the word of God in Genesis 1, 5, and Matthew 19. You're a human being. And there, there's some parts to this. You were made with complexity, but simplicity. You were created a human being as male or female. And as male and female image bearers together, you bear that image in responsibility and in communion and in witness. And with this, if we accept this, we recognize in life there is a double movement. If you accept that life is your choose your own adventure, adventure, then the movement is only one directional, wherever your eyes shall lead, or rather, wherever the appliances pull you. But if there is a God, and we're his creature, and we bear his image, then our movement is twofold. We recognize in every good thing in the earth that every good thing is a gift from God. And we recognize those good things like the good deeds of God's people. And we praise God for them. We move not only toward the world, but we move in the direction of the Lord. And those can be simultaneous when the point is the kingdom and we know the king. Alan Noble says, every action ought to have its telos in God. This is why Paul said in 1 Corinthians 10, whatever you do, whatever you do, do all for the glory of God. This is what the pattern and life of a true human is, is to do all and everything to the glory of God. Christ ought to be the telos, the point of our living. And I have just done a preacher's sin. I said the word ought. When I was a young person learning to preach, the old professors would say, you don't want to say ought. You, you, you want to avoid words like ought. You know, the funny thing is you can construct that sentence like this. You ought not say ought. <laughs> but there's a lot of divine oughts. And the thing about a divine ought is that it comes with divine punch and power. It comes with animating grace that allows the, the call of God, the pursuit of the kingdom, to be lived out in concrete ways on this earth. And God laid some oughts before us because he's the designer and the creator, and he wants us to live with the grain of the universe. And when we reject that, when we reject that, it hurts us. E. Stanley Jones said it like this, life is rendering a verdict, and it's an adverse verdict on the rejection of the kingdom of God. And examples of this abound. I recently read a little piece written in the John Hopkins newsletter, the student paper of John Hopkins University, by a senior at John Hopkins named Van Tu. Van is a, a secular, progressive, Christian, not, no. She's not coming from a Christian perspective. She's not from the FCA. She's not from crew. She's a super left-wing feminist. And she wrote in their student paper a piece on hookup culture on their campus. And this is what she said. 
She said, hookup culture becomes and has become more popular with the rise of individualistic attitudes. It implies the ability to undergo sexual relations without the expectation of commitment or emotional attachment. She says, as a senior at Hopkins, I have come across many stories of feminine presenting people who have been negatively affected by the prominent hookup culture on campus. What's she saying? It's not working. Life's not working. Life renders a verdict. We're going against the grain of the universe and the ways of the Creator. And into this predicament, Jesus spoke and He speaks because He is good and loves us and is our Savior. And he didn't shy away from, the, from the, 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 the tricky things, the hard things. And in Matthew 19, we get a tricky thing, a hard thing. And in it, he re-articulates the high call of the kingdom of God as it relates to marriage and celibacy and sex. It do us well to revisit the, the drama, the narrative of the story. Uh, it, it starts, Matthew 19, by saying... After he had said these things, what had he just said? In chapter 18, Jesus had talked very extensively about humility and forgiveness. This whole conversation about marriage, about divorce, about celibacy, it is, it is couched in an atmosphere of humility and forgiveness. Jesus will, will lift a high ideal, but he does it in the most warm, human ways imaginable he just finished saying these things about forgiveness and humility. And it said, and he, and he left Galilee and he headed toward Judea. This, this picks up what we have, the motif of the, the journey to Jerusalem. Jesus had told his disciples that he was headed toward Jerusalem. And he told them what was going to happen there. This is the motif of the cross. And he's headed toward the cross. And friends, the cross is God's great no and God's great yes all at the same time. At the cross, God says no, and he says it loudly and boldly to our sin and rebellion and anti-life and rejection of the king and rejection of the kingdoms. At the cross, God judges us and our sin and death and the adversary. At the cross, he will say no, but at the cross, it is the triumphant shouting yes of God uh, as he turns toward humanity in love. For God so what? Loved the world. So this whole conversation, it's in an atmosphere uh, of humility and forgiveness and the cross. God's no and God's triumphant yes, his love for us even while we were in our sins. And in this chapter and for the next chapters we have series after series of conflicts that lead Jesus directly to that Roman timber and in this one chapter there's three conflicts there's a conflict with the Pharisees and then there's conflict over children they want to bring kids to Jesus and, and the disciples are like no this is not on our menu of, 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 of activities we don't do kids we do healing we do deliverance we do teaching we do arguing with religious leaders, but kids, not on the list. Go away, kids. And Jesus said, let the kids come. I love kids. 
And then he says, look, everybody who enters the kingdom enters like a kid. Remember, he talked and blessed are those who are poor in spirit. The kingdom belongs to people like that, people who know their need, people who are not heroes of their own story, people who come to God only with empty and open hands. So there's that controversy. And there's controversy over the rich man who can't turn from his riches to follow Jesus. And Jesus says, you know, it's hard for rich people. It's tough on them. He said, it's harder to go uh, through, through the eye of a needle if you're a camel than for a rich man to enter the kingdom. And they thought riches just said blessing. And so the disciples said, well, who can be saved? And what did Jesus say? With people, with humans, totally impossible. But with God, but with God, all things are possible. So in this chapter, we get a Jesus who is a welcomer of those who know their own need. We get a Jesus who says, I am the one of the, of the possible impossibility. And in this chapter of conflict, we get a real good fight with some religious leaders. And they swagger up to Jesus. Friends, if you ever swagger up to Jesus, you're going to get owned. <laughs> They swaggered up to Jesus in order to test him. They weren't even sincere in their questioning. They said, tell us, Jesus. Is it cool if we divorce our wives for any reason? Is that good? He asked them to test them. There were two schools of thought on this issue, and it was a hot fight, and they were in the middle of it, and they wanted to bring Jesus into their fight. And Jesus turns to them. And he lays out some truth for them that helps them remember who they were and who we are. He said, haven't you read? I mean, they're coming up there with the Schofield Bible. You know, it weighs 80 pounds under their arms. They're swaggering. These were people of the book. And Jesus says, haven't you read what God said? And he called God the creator. Jesus is, was, a, was a Psalm 100 theology. God is God. God made us. We didn't make ourselves. This is good because God is good. He said, don't you remember what, what the word says, what God says? The creator made us. And he made us male and female. He made us human. Adam. He said, and that, those two, they were to leave their families of origin and cleave to one another, and one flesh happens in that cleaving. And he said, he started with God, he comes back to God, he said, and what God has put together, humanity should not pull apart. Jesus laid out the ideal. And the Pharisees were like, but, 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 what about, what about, what about? And they had a list of all of the ins and all of the outs, and and Jesus, he would deal with those kind of exceptional situations, and, and he was kind, and he was gentle, and, and he, was, he was in the midst of the real world. But they come in with all this, but, 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 and he wanted to talk about the way, the kingdom of God, the human way, the way of life made by the creator. And he says, okay, yes, you're right. He gives them something, throws them a bone. He said, but that's not the way it was from the beginning. And also there is a hint here that this is not the way of the new beginning. 
This is not the way of my people. So he's dealt, he's dealt with the Pharisees. And then the disciples, it's their turn to speak. And, and I love the line from R.T. France. He said, were these words spoken with a wry smile which the printed word cannot convey? Their question. You know, I love that kind of thing in a commentary because it means that person is reading the Bible with a sense of humor and reading the Bible with a sanctified imagination and some creativity. Friends, you got to remember this. These disciples, they were students of the rabbi. They were students of the master. They had that relationship with Jesus. But don't ever, 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 ever forget these men were his friends. And I can envision the scene playing out like this. Jesus just has this super intense theological fight with some Pharisees. And his friends step forward after he lifts high the ideal of a husband-wife relationship. He, they just go, dude, seriously? Maybe we shouldn't get married at all. They just kind of bring it down. Like, Jesus, bro. What are you talking about? That's way up there, man. And he's like, oh, I can top that. <laughs> I can top that. And then I think he probably taps his chest. He says, okay, guys. Yes, marriage is a beautiful and a high ideal given by God. And what God puts together, we shouldn't pull apart. But we got to talk about eunuchs. He said, some... Circumstance of birth. Others, maybe a political situation. Somebody puts them in charge of a harem or some such. Maybe it's the work of a man over another. He said, but for some, they voluntarily enter into a life of celibacy. I think he taps his chest for the sake of the kingdom of heaven. And it got really real between brothers. And Jesus was saying in that moment, hey guys, listen, I'm, I know the challenges of marriage are, are, are big. He said, the challenge of being a eunuch for the kingdom are real. Gee, this is probably a little bit of an apology for his singleness. He was certainly criticized, maybe gossiped about, snickered about. Don't let the ambient culture say you are less than human if you're living a life of faithful celibacy. People say, oh, it's an impossibility. No. Craig Blomberg said, if Roman Catholics have overly exalted celibacy as an ideal, most Protestants have drastically undervalued it. In this room, there are witnesses to 60-plus years of faithful marriage. And there are gospel witnesses of men and women living for the sake of the kingdom of heaven in their singleness and celibacy. Culture says, you are what you make of yourself. You're driven by your drives. Christ says, you're a creature of a good creator, an image bearer, a male or female human. 
You're not the star of your own story, but you're a supporting actor in the story of a good God, and your role is beautiful. It might be dramatic sometimes. It might be funny sometimes. You might be that straight-laced character in the corner just filling out the play. But it's his story, and your story is his, all there together. And that's beautiful because you're a human. You're a human, and you're God's. So friends, today as we stand, and I invite you to stand now, we're going to sing a hymn of commitment. You were made by Christ, and you were made for Christ. You were made that he might have first place in your life. If you have never turned to Christ in trust and in faith, I invite you to do that today. The way we do it here is while we sing, you come down and you talk to me or one of our other pastors, and you tell them, hey, I, I want to give my life to Christ. Uh, if that makes no sense to you, whatever, but it sounds kind of interesting and you want to talk, man, I drink coffee or tea and I certainly eat food and I got time for you. So today, if you just want to linger around and say, Pastor Matt, I don't know all what you're talking about, but I... I there's just some sort of, I don't know how to describe it, but would you talk with me? Don't leave today. We believe that those kind of feelings, those kind of thoughts, that's the Spirit of God working in your life. That's God's grace. He loves you. He knows you. He knows your name, and he has a vision for your life. He's got a goal for you swept up into his goal. If that's you today, we invite you to come. You say, I have, I have settled my trust in Christ, but I've never been baptized to demonstrate it, to bear witness. If that's you today, we invite you to come and just share with this room what God has done in your life. Look, these are, these are touchy issues. They touch the very deepest parts of us. If there's just a need in your life for somebody to stand around you and pray, encourage you, invite you to come today too if you don't want to do that in front of people just linger just linger you'll never be you'll never be ceased to amaze at the work that the holy spirit does and just lingering after church i mean some of y'all got to get out of here go to eat some tacos but you know the holy spirit is here and lingers and so do people quite often don't leave this room today if god is stirring something inside of you without responding to him. He loves you. And so do we. God, we thank you for a chance to be in this place and we're grateful that you are the creator and that you made us and that this gives a point to our existence. Lord, we want to honor you in the living of our days in concrete ways. And we readily confess to you that, Lord, doing that on our own strength makes about as much sense as trying to drive a camel through a needle's eye. We need you, Lord, because we're kids. We're needy children. And we thank you, Lord, that you provide for your kids. Work in our hearts, Lord, as we sing to you. We pray in Christ's name.